Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to The Roy Green Show podcast. So tomorrow is a very, very important, significant day for law enforcement, for all of us. It's Police and Peace Officers National Memorial Day. Thousands of officers and their families will be attending ceremonies in Ottawa. One family is the Harnett family. In the uh, Hamilton area in Ontario, and we're joined by Jason Harnett, his brother, Sergeant Andrew Harnett of the Calgary Police Service, was dragged to his death during a routine traffic stop on New Year's Eve 2020. Sentencing of the then still young offender found guilty of manslaughter should take place in the next week. Jason, um, thank you so much for making the time. So, hi, Roy. Yeah, hi. H- how are you? Well, our, our hearts are definitely heavy today in Ottawa, um, you know, with the recent news and um, coming into the Peace Police Officers Memorial tomorrow. And I understand uh, Constable O'Brien was from Ottawa, so it's going to be very, very emotional weekend, I think. And no doubt. Uh, your brother, Andrew, will be among the fallen officers, remembered and honored. And uh, as you just said, as a national police family, this cannot become easier. Not not for you ever, I would imagine. I mean, I hope No, I, I hope it becomes less burdensome, but not easier. Can't. For sure. It, it's something that's going to stay with um, our family forever, of course. And, uh, and I'm sure many other families that have been affected in the same way. And um, you know, we were just uh, walking along the streets here, and there's there's a rumble of motorcycles going through the streets. And uh, I think there's a large contingent for Officer Hong, um, who was another police officer. That's right. In line, of, line of duty, he was with the police motorcycle unit. So, um, yeah, we'll be thinking of my brother as well this weekend. This is our second time at, at this event. And uh, um, obviously thinking of those other people that are here for the very first time um, under the hor- under these horrible circumstances. A lot of mutual support, huh? Definitely. Uh, there will be so many police from across the country here, um, military police, and uh, it's a real good bond. It's, it's, it's a great show of support, and it's something that the families really need and, uh, and appreciate. What are the circumstances now in the criminal case against the individual awaiting sentencing and the death of your brother. That's going to happen shortly, yes? Yeah, actually, Roy, um, we're into the final sentencing um, this coming Wednesday um, from Calgary. Um, the youth will is now being sentenced as an adult, and his name will, will, be, um, will be broadcasted as an adult um, come his final sentencing. So um, we're ho- obviously hoping for um, a stern... Um, outcome, but, um, you know, readying ourselves for, you know, um, something that isn't quite as favorable for sure. What's one thing we should know about you, brother Andrew? Well, he would uh, definitely have been at an event like, uh, what's going on here in Ottawa this weekend. He was, uh, all about supporting other police officers and, uh, especially those who've been affected or injured. Or, or killed in the line of duty. He was always there and uh, uh, part of those events and, and proud to to support the families as well. And uh, he, he was a guy who loved life. 
he loved life and he loved policing. And, uh, um, he was just a great guy. I had a big smile. Your brother, Andrew, would be proud of you. I know that, Jason. Thank you so much for the time today. Thanks for talking to us. Thanks, Roy. Take care. I had an opportunity to speak with Shivam Vij. He's an independent Indian journalist based in New Delhi. He actually wrote an op-ed for Washington, uh, for the Washington Post in 2018, after Mr. Trudeau's much-criticized dress-up um, tour of India. And, and it was, why is India being really rude to Justin Trudeau? And it wasn't a, it wasn't a throwaway column. It was well done. Well done op-ed by Shivam Vij. He and I have sort of stayed in touch over the last number of years. So I had an opportunity to speak with him about how this is being perceived in India. Have a listen. Shivam, what's the continuing fallout and reaction by your national government to Mr. Trudeau's statement in Canada's parliament about a government of India involvement in the murder of a prominent member of Canada's Sikh community, Canadian citizen and supporter of the creation of an independent state of Khalistan, Hardeep Singh Nijar. What's your government's response today? Well, my government, uh, as has been reported everywhere, has firstly denied the allegation is absurd and motivated and simply not true. But over and above that, since then, my government has expressed concern about the safety of Indians in Canada, particularly Indian diplomats, and also concern, great concern, at the Canadian government's support to anti-India elements, uh, including violent elements in Canada. You wrote a Washington Post op-ed in 2018 following Mr. Trudeau's visit to India then, when he was ridiculed in Canada for wearing what India's media dubbed as his Bollywood outfits. And your op-ed was titled, Why India is Being Really Rude to Justin Trudeau. That was five years ago. From India's perspective, has there been a frosty relationship with Trudeau since before that 2018 trip when Prime Minister Modi pointedly did not meet Trudeau at the airport when Trudeau arrived in India and uh, extending to today. Has has, that, has there been a frosty relationship between the two? Well, you know, firstly, it's not personal, and there's no reason why India wouldn't love to have great relations with Canada. Um, the problem is that the Trudeau government and his party uh, need the votes of some radical uh, Sikh elements in Canada and for their domestic politics, this is at least the perception here, for their domestic politics, they pander to those elements and they ignore Indian security concerns, um, which raises a lot of red flags here about the Canadian government's intentions right, with regard to India. I must point out to you, however, that despite the frosty relations, India has been trying its best, and so has Canada, to uh, have to improve trade relations, to improve relations with regard to international affairs. Um, however, the Canadian government's complete refusal to help India contain uh, violent elements who target Indian Punjab has meant that relations are frosty and uh, they've gone downhill. In a way, if you look back, you might think this was inevitable. So the view in India, certainly from the government, perhaps from uh, media as well, is that Mr. Trudeau is working domestic politics in this country to his advantage and to the disadvantage of the relationship between Canada and India. 
100%. Uh, that is the view. And, you know, as everybody knows, Indian politics is also pretty divisive. And Mr. Modi leads the Hindu Nationalist Party. Um, Indian politics is also messy. You know, so is Canadian politics. So is all politics. However, on the issue of Punjab and Khalistan, it's a, there's a bipartisan consensus. If you look at the what the opposition party in India has said, they're supporting the Indian government on everything in this matter. Because the Khalistan terrorism, uh, what happened in the 80s, we lost a prime minister to it. All of those are live memories for us. We don't want it back. And the Canadian government is completely insensitive to Indian concerns. These are concerns shared by Indians across the political divide. Um, if Mr. Modi was not in power, the BJP was not in power, and Congress was in power, things wouldn't be very different. It would still be a matter of great concern. Uh, maybe the diplomatic handling would be slightly different this way or that way, but uh, there's a bipartisan consensus that it is Mr. Trudeau's domestic political compulsions that are causing trouble in Indian Punjab. So the question becomes, how do the relations between India and Canada recover from this situation? If Mr. Trudeau is being, and I was going to use the same word you did, insensitive to India's uh, needs and expectations of a relationship with this country, how do we, how do the two countries get beyond this, Shivam? Well, I think... It's not very difficult. You know, the diplomats on both sides can sit down on the table and um, discuss the red lines for each other and say this is not acceptable. When, for example, in Indian Punjab, there's a, there's a killing and there's someone sitting in Canada who writes on Facebook that I take responsibility for this killing and the Canadian government refuses to cooperate with India about uh, extraditing the person right? Mm -hmm. uh, how do you expect relations to be great? And this has been happening, right? There are, there, there are these killings and gang warfare and extremist elements and separatist elements uh, who openly sort of cause trouble in India, who openly try to incite the Sikh community to uh, sort of rebel against the Indian government and the Indian state. And that is a matter of Indian sovereignty, Indian security interests, so I don't see, and if today the Canadian government says, we have these concerns. Today the Canadian government says, you have caused a killing here. So I think like adults, the two can sit down on the table and talk it out. And perhaps that is what will happen in, in, in the months to follow when sort of the flare tempers cool down. However, I think another way things can change is if the government in Canada changes, because um, if it is true that Mr. Trudeau's domestic political compulsions do not allow him to be sensitive to Indian concerns, then I guess we'll have to wait for political change in Canada. Mm -hmm. Certainly, he's not doing well in national polling. His polling numbers have been declining sharply for months now. One question about the G20, which was held in Delhi just a few days ago. The word is that Mr. Trudeau was largely, if not ignored, certainly passed over by other national leaders. And uh, perhaps that affected him as well. Is it true? Was he treated less than warmly by the other leaders of the G20? Well, I don't know about other leaders, but uh, you could say that the Indian response was less than warm. And that is because of uh, how relations have been frosty. But 
But despite that, the Indian Prime Minister met to do one to one. You know, he, he could have declined a meeting. So India was willing to sort of talk things through. But it seems that Mr. Trudeau, for whatever reasons, uh, maybe because he's felt snubbed by India in the past, uh, maybe for his domestic political reasons, as you say, his ratings are falling. That's something that we are all aware of. The Indian media is writing about it. We can Google and see what's happening in Canada, right? Just like you can Google and see what's happening in India. Mm-hmm. So we know that his ratings are falling. And the way, it's not just that he raises concern about assassination, which is blamed on India. The way he has done it, the way he's spoken in parliament and he's going around sort of making an international issue out of it, it again seems aimed at his domestic consequences. It again seems like a domestic political posturing. Uh, and, you know, it perfectly suits us fine because in India, the man on the street is saying, okay, maybe, maybe, let's say, if India did cause this assassination, hey, that's a great thing to do because those guys are trying to bring down the Indian government, uh, the Indian state. Those guys are trying to cause a, a rekindling of violence in Indian Punjab and nobody wants that. So, um, I think in, in, in G20 and then the Canadian airplane wasn't working, the Indian government offered a plane which it did not take. All of it in, at one level seems rather childish. But at another level, I think the G20 summit was an opportunity. Uh, certainly there are people in India who think that the Indian government should have done a better job of, uh, you know, mending fences with Prime Minister Trudeau and making sure that things do not escalate however they have escalated and this is where we are. How will this critical situation, as it is, between India and Canada, Canada and India, continue and possibly conclude. Ujjal Dussange is the former Premier of British Columbia, former Liberal Member of Parliament, and Federal Minister of Health. He emigrated first to uh, the UK and then to Canada. And uh, Ujjal, it's good to speak with you again. What What's your immediate response to what's been developing here in the last week? Well, it's saddening just to see um, two countries that could be very close allies kind of at loggerheads over uh, these allegations, um, which are serious. Um, and uh, and I, but I see no resolution anytime soon because uh, for different reasons, um, you know, uh, Mr. Trudeau is not trusted by the Indians, and Mr. Modi is is not sort of, you know, not a Democrat and, and has all kinds of internal domestic issues. Um, therefore, some of us um, don't trust Mr. Modi. So I think it's going to be very, very difficult. The other problem you have is that Mr. Trudeau has, um, I think, uh, impaired his ability to be our interlocutor with India. So he'll have to find somebody else if we need to talk to India and resolve this. We obviously aren't going to go to war with each other. uh, So these issues have to be resolved at the table. And, of course, by prosecution, if there is any evidence to to, um, you know, conclude that uh, Mr. Nigel was murdered by A, B or C. Um, So those are, you know, that's the difficulty in this situation. Mm -hmm. So we're doing the, uh, or both countries are doing the, by the numbers response. 
we'll kick out one of your diplomats, and then you'll kick out one of ours, and we'll issue a warning about your country, and you'll issue a warning about ours. So that's by the numbers stuff. But where where to next? I think that, that, uh, you know, I was just thinking that uh, amongst the five eyes, one country that could perhaps mediate uh, this issue between India and Canada might be Australia, um, uh, not Britain, um, not U.S., but perhaps Australia, because it's sort of a somewhat non-threatening. Um, but I don't know uh, what Mr. Uh, Trudeau is thinking, because ultimately these kinds of issues are not resolved by uh, making statements implicating other countries. Uh, ultimately, they have to be resolved at the table. Uh, and the saner heads need to prevail. I mean, it's a very serious allegation um, if Mr. Niger has been killed. But Indians are mad. They've been hopping mad at Canada for some time, particularly in Mr. Trudeau's uh, uh, reign, because they see Mr. Trudeau um, um, is indebted or surrounded by some Khalistani people, Khalistanis, uh, not necessarily violent ones, but Khalistani separatists, um, you know, inside his party. And he is he is uh, captain in power by the support of Mr. Mr. Jagmeet Singh, who uh, is banned from going to India because they believe he's a Khalistani. Um, so I think that they, they don't trust uh, Mr. Trudeau. And uh, Mr. Modi isn't a Democrat and has all kinds of issues vis-a-vis uh, his um, turning a blind eye to the victimization of untouchables, Muslims, or other minorities now in the northeast of India. Um, so, you know, there are, no, there are no good people in this at the end of the day from each other's point of view. Yeah. And, and uh, we need to, we need to uh, calm down a bit. It would have been better had Mr. Trudeau not gone public with this until the RCMP had charged somebody or until the CSIS had provided him uh, some evidence that could be made public. Then I think that, uh, you know, it, it may have played out differently. Yeah, there was something theatrical about uh, his presentation. Well, there usually is something theatrical about how he presents himself. But I thought uh, at the end of, uh, and I listened very closely to what he had to say, and I played it back to, so I made sure I knew what he said. I thought, okay, so now we have your say-so, but where's even redacted uh, evidence of what you're saying, Mr. Trudeau? And now he won't say anymore. Well, that's, I mean, that is now a problem. And you have, you know, there's no question, even in, in, in India, under the current regime, there's been a lot of jingoism that's been unleashed, uh, and you, particularly on social media. And uh, you have insane kind of comments being made. And then you have equally insane comments being made by some of the Khalistanis here against India. Um, and, and, you know, one of the difficulties in Canada, from my perspective, Roy, has been that we have had politicians uh, in the last few years that have mollycoddled the Sikh separatists. I, you know, they have every right to preach for Khalistan, but they have no right to be violent or hateful. Uh, and uh, but the politicians have come up short. 
in the sense that if you consider India uh, an ally, somewhat of an ally, maybe a faultier democracy than ours, um, but but they are an important country and a, a, quite a potential ally. Uh, and I have not heard any politician say, hey, look, folks, Khalistanis, you have the right to ask for Khalistan, but we don't support dismemberment of a friendly country. And if if somebody had ever said that, you would have seen uh, this movement um, just, you know, dissipate over time. Okay. Uh, they have defended everybody uh, based on right of free expression. Uh, you know, that's a right, but politicians have an obligation to show some leadership too. Joining us on uh, the Ukrainian president's visit to this country in person, Boris Rezhnevsky, member of the Ukrainian Canadian Congress, former Liberal member of Parliament in Toronto. And you may recall that uh, Mr. Rezhnevsky sat with Prime Minister Trudeau in Parliament during the Ukrainian president's first virtual message to this country. Boris, thank you for coming uh, on the program, starting things off for us today. The president had a very important message to deliver, and uh, the West has a very important mission to engage, and that is not only to protect the people and the territory of Ukraine, but they're also fighting for the West, correct? Uh, correct. Uh, Roy, thank you once again for having me uh, on. It's always a pleasure. Uh, yesterday, I, I had the honor of once again being in the front row and to be able to carefully watch uh, everyone's reactions and to hear uh, what was probably the most compelling speech that I've heard in the House of Commons since 2004. Uh, I've had the opportunity to listen to many prime ministers and presidents give speeches in the House, um, and I've never seen so many standing ovations by all members of the House, by all senators, as I did yesterday. And uh, it's, it's interesting because it underlines how important these in-person bilaterals are in a time of video conferencing. Uh, the fact that the Prime Minister and Ministers and the President with his Ministers could sit down and speak face-to-face uh, ended up with some tremendous results. Uh, the Prime Minister in his speech made a new commitment for $600 million, uh, $650 million of uh, mostly military aid uh, for 50 uh, armored uh, armored personnel carriers, uh, 35 uh, military uh, drone cameras, uh, and uh, much more, an aid for, uh, to help uh, Ukrainian veterans with mental health. Uh, there were uh, a, a slew of side agreements by uh, different ministers. And what was perhaps most encouraging was that you no longer have any equivocation, stalling and hedging of the type that we've heard previously from the government. Uh, in fact, last night, uh, the Prime Minister in his speech in Toronto, uh, in introducing President Zelensky, he capped, it, uh, capped off his speech by stating emphatically, Canada stands with Ukraine for as much as it takes, for as long as it takes. And uh, we've been waiting for that clear, concise uh, 
phraseology and statement from the Prime Minister, and uh, it once again goes to prove how important these bilaterals, in fact, are. Boris, there's also been some concern about some countries in the West, and there's been concern that some in the United States government are starting to take a more, um, a less enthusiastic, maybe, uh, view about continuing to support Ukraine to the extent the United States has been. So would that be another reason for the president's personal visits to the United States and Canada? He had a successful visit with President Biden on Thursday. Yes, absolutely. And it's important. Uh, it underlines another important role these visits play. Um, and there's uh, the President Zelensky also has an opportunity to reach out into the general public. Uh, as we know, in the United States, the Republican Party has been somewhat captured just by the dynamic in their House of Representatives and the slim majority they have by a very small minority uh, of uh, uh, former President Trump supporters, and they're some of the most radical uh, isolationists in the Republican Party, which does not reflect the majority, but it's the tail wagging the dog there. But in Canada, what we saw was, and I watched carefully, because once again, I had a front row seat, so I was able to look and scan through the House, and there wasn't a single person that did not rise for every standing ovation, every mm -hmm. single member of parliament, every senator. Mm -hmm. um, I'd also like to mention one of what I thought was one of the most poignant moments. It was when uh, Prime Minister Trudeau introduced two sisters, Agnes and Susan, who are the sisters of a Canadian who died just two weeks ago, a can Canadian humanitarian volunteer. There are literally several thousand Canadian volunteers in Ukraine, and, and he was helping evacuate uh, with an international humanitarian organization, helping to evacuate people from some of the bombed-out uh, uh, towns and cities near the front lines, and they were tracked by a drone and hit by a Russian rocket, and this Canadian is a hero, and uh, I have to tell you, it was a very poignant moment. There were uh, tears in people's eyes, because Canadians... Yes, the government has made some clear commitments, but there have been Canadians from day one that went to Ukraine on a matter of principle, and some have paid the ultimate sacrifice. Yeah. And uh, I am so glad that the Prime Minister acknowledged that sacrifice as well. And uh, we should never lose sight of the fact, Boris, that it was Mr. Putin and his military that invaded Ukraine. That's the reason this is all going on, because Putin invaded Ukraine. That is the reason this is happening. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.